Welcome to the official podcast of Apostolic Lighthouse. We'd like to thank you for listening today. We pray this message blesses you and encourages you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. How to do that. So it's, it's like there's some negatives, there's some downsides to traditional models. And uh, meaning people can be siloed means people can be stuck in a rut doing the same type of tasks over and over again. In the case of software developers or engineers, people become so specialized, sort of like specialized medicine where doctors can only do this type of procedure and this doctor specializes in this type of procedure. Software engineers can tend to do the same type of thing where I'm really good at graphical user interfaces or I am good at uh, Apple iOS apps or I'm good at software architecture, how it lays out, or I'm good at low-level software sort of where the hardware is is at. Um, and so they become siloed. And it uh, they get so good at it that they become pigeonholed sometimes into only doing a certain part of a job required to make the whole product work. Sort of like a small cog in a large wheel type of thing. Now, oftentimes, non-product ownership companies, managers get to micromanaging their employees to get the best out of them. How can I eke out as much production with with this person as possible so I feed them specific work and I spoon spoon feed it to them so that they can do the best job that they can. And that sounds fine and dandy, but really it does create a lot of delays and a lot of times they can't work on the most important thing because they're busy doing some other thing because they're good at it. Um, But in product ownership environment, the employee has the freedom and the empowerment to do all kinds of work. Actually, they're free and empowered to do exactly what is necessary to get the job done. A lot of times we explain it like on a um, rugby field, how um, you know there's certain people that do certain types of jobs, like in football. Football is probably a better analogy. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the goal is what to get the ball in the end zone, to 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 get a touchdown, right? And so, receivers catch passes. Um, Running, running, runners run, you know. <laughs> uh, quarterbacks pass the ball, hand off the ball. You know, everyone has a specialized job. Kickers kick the ball, right? And so we're saying if the ball is on the one-yard line and it's right in front of you and you're a kicker, what should you do? Should you wait for someone to set it up so you can kick it or should you pick it up and take it into the goal? Pick it up. That's not your job, though. It's Okay. It's okay that it's not your job. We want you to be empowered to pick up that ball and take it over the over the goal line and score a goal. So that's sort of the analogy that we like to, to put forward. And so uh, in a product ownership environment, people are empowered to do those type of things. But in order to properly own the product, you must have three essential things. So number one, you have to understand that you can't be a dunce you have to understand the product and the vision for the product, what it needs to be. And so that's usually from VPs or directors of engineering. They set the vision, they set the course of the company, and then everyone else sort of says, okay, I can take that vision and we can make something out of it and we can digest it and you know, create smaller work items from that vision or whatever. Um, number two, there's got to be trust. Everyone say trust. So understanding is number one. Trust is number two. Trust between team members 
and managers that they can and will get the job done. So if we're going to say you're empowered to do it, you're responsible to do it, we've got to trust you that you're going to do it. Um, Empowerment is the third one. Everyone say empowerment. You're empowered to do whatever it takes to get the job done and hold each other accountable. And so, like, basically, what do you need? We'll give it to you to get the job done. Ultimately, when people take ownership, the result will be that... uh, because the people who care about the product will also care about each other. So they'll hold each other accountable. And hopefully that's the case. It doesn't always work out perfectly, right? You always have to retrain people. You always have to reset the vision. You always have to give them training, courses, and self-management, that type of thing. But for the most part, it's been a really great experience. In fact, one of the unique things that we've done at our company is there's approximately 50 software engineers and four managers. I'm one of the managers, and we let them choose their manager. That's how much empowerment we gave them. We didn't say, okay, I'm your manager, I have to be your manager. So as a team, they pick managers. Obviously, all people can't report to one manager, so once once the manager and the teams that they want like agree, like, you want me and I want you guys, so I'll take you guys, then they have to take the other teams have to take what's left or whatever. So it just works out. But it's pretty cool. It's a, a pretty cool way of working. And so far it's working pretty well. And so that's ownership. And, and you can sort of already see how ownership can apply to children of God in the kingdom of God. Where we are empowered, right? We have the trust of the Savior. And hopefully we've been studying the word and coming to church and listening to the CEO or the VP, probably a better analogy is the VP, Pastor Randy Bradley, giving us the vision, right? And so once we take that vision, we run with it because God's giving him the vision. Amen. And so we can see how a lot of those things apply. And so I was wondering, okay, I know ownership is important and I can see its principles already Uh, in the Bible just in general. I wonder if there's anything in the Bible that specifically shows us an example of ownership. Well, I found one pretty quickly. And it's it's a story that we all know about. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, it's a little bit of readings. um, So hopefully you just stick with me. And David rose up, 17 verse 20. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went and Jesse, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array against the army. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words and David heard them and all the men of Israel when they saw the man fled from him and were sore afraid and David spake to the man and stood by him saying what shall be done to this to the man that killeth the Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and said, Why camest thou down hither? 
And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Tender neighbor and say, Is there not a cause? Amen. Is there not a cause in 2019? Are there important things that the children of God need to do in this generation? Amen. Are there important messages that we need to relay to the lost in this in the world in which we live today? Is there not a cause today? There is the cause is so great in the world in which we live. So this message that David was saying, what's going on here? Why are we why does it seem like we're losing the battle? Why does it seem like there's a big bully that's trying to Tell us, the children of God, what to do and where to get off. It's time for us to stand up and say, is there not a cause? Shouldn't we stand up and fight instead of just cowering and being afraid of what's coming on the political horizon or saying, you know, all these bad things are happening or should we stand up and say, is there not a cause? Amen. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. Since no one else is stepping up, I'm going to step up. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept back his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb lamb out of the flock and I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth and when he arose against me I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him and the servant slew both the lion and the bear and the uncircumcised Philistine shall be one of them seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God Saul armed David with his armor And he put the helmet of brass upon his head and and armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon the armor and he essayed to go for he had not proved it. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag which he had had, even in a scrip. And his, his sling was in his hand and he drew near the Philistine and the Philistine came on and drew near unto David and the man that bare the shield was before him and when the Philistine looked about and saw David he disdained him and he was for he was uh, but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance and the Philistine said to David am I a dog that thou camest me to me with staves and the Philistine cursed David by his gods And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. And David, then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. He didn't even say, I come to you with my shepherd's staff and my five stones and, and my sling. 
He said, I don't even need all that. I got the name of God on my side. Hallelujah. And that's what we have. Let's thank God for His name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. We are the same weapons. Hallelujah. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts uh, of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Hallelujah. Amen. And David put his bag in his, his hand in his bag, took thence a stone, slang it, I like that, slang it, and... And smote the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and smote the Philistine, and slew him. But there was no sword in David's hand, in the hand of David. Therefore David ran, stood upon the Philistine, and took his sword, drew it out, drew the sheath thereof, and slew him, and cut his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's thank the Lord. Amen. Obviously, this this story has been preached so many different ways through the years. I'm sure Brother Bradley has preached it many ways. Amen. But this story has ownership written all over it. It has ownership written all of it over it. David was not instructed to do any of this. No one said, David, this is your job. You do this. And I want you to do it this way. None of that happened. He wasn't on the sidelines waiting for his name to be called or just wishing he was in the fight. David was using ownership. He looked around and saw people not willing to take on the responsibility that, was, that the moment demanded. He looked around and said, what is going on here? Is there not a cause? Isn't there someone that is angry at what this guy is saying about us? Isn't there someone that's willing to stand up? Amen. Not only is ownership in the kingdom of God initiative to see what needed to be done, what what the need at hand was, but it is the wherewithal to do something about it. Amen. It's not just saying, hey, there's a problem here. Someone fix it. It's saying, there's a problem here. I'm going to go do something about it. Amen. Even if you're the only one. Even if you're the only one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You see, David had the three ingredients that that was required for ownership. He had the understanding. He understood the situation. He understood what God wanted to do. And he was willing to step up. Number two, he had trust. He gained the trust of the king. Obviously, God trusted him, right? But he had to gain the trust of the king through his testimony about how he slew a lion and a bear. And, he, and by expressing his faith in God and living by faith every day. Hallelujah. So that's how you gain trust. 
through your testimony by doing it every day. Amen. How do people know they can count on you to pray for them because you've already prayed for them before, because you've seen prayer an prayers answered. Hallelujah. They trust your prayers. Hallelujah. Because you have a testimony. Hallelujah. Of being a prayer warrior. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And finally, David was empowered. He was empowered to do the job. First, by rejecting the king's arm, uh, armor and sword. Isn't that awesome? He had the power to say no to the king. That's when you know you have real power, is when you can say no. <laughs> right? Right? Imagine telling your boss, no, I don't think that's the right thing to do, boss. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Well, in an in a ownership environment, you can. In an ownership environment, it says, you know what? I studied it out. I evaluated it. Here's the test results. This is why I think we shouldn't do this. And anyone with, worth their salt to say, go for it. You're empowered. You did, you did your job. We trust you. Go and do it. And that's what the king did. did. And then picking up five smooth stones, David was empowered, and he stepped out onto the battlefield. And he overcame that giant. Amen. What giant is there in your life today? What giant is there that faces you in the morning or, or when you get to work or, or just at school or at the store? Or what issue do you face? What are you struggling with in 2019 that you want to leave in 2018? Where you say, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of facing this dumb thing all the time, of facing the same sin, the same problem, the same issue that I deal with time and time and time again. Is it, is it maybe it's a disease, maybe it's a, an illness or an ailment, or maybe it's just a weakness that you have, an insecurity that you have in your spirit. And you're saying, God, I want to be empowered. God, I want to own this thing in the kingdom of God. I don't want it to own me. I want to own it today. In Jesus' name. And that's what God's saying. It's time. It's time. It's time. Hallelujah. 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 That's why I felt this was so imperative for 2019 when I was just praying and thinking about what we, I can bring to this congregation today. Amen. It's ownership. Everyone say ownership. ownership. Amen. Ownership in the kingdom. See, we, so we see uh, an Old Testament example of what ownership looks like. But what about the New Testament? How are we supposed to apply ownership as a Christian? That was a Jew that was facing a real giant, like a physical giant that was trying to kill them physically. What about in the New Testament? What did Jesus say that we can take about ownership? Jesus talked about ownership in the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 3, 1 through 12 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. 
Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Jesus granted us ownership in the kingdom of God. He said it's yours. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty. Yours is the Yours is the kingdom. I'm giving it to you. Jesus said, I'm giving it to you. He said, if you're poor, it's yours. He said, if you're meek, it's yours. He said, if you're hungry and thirsty, it's yours. If you're pure in heart, it's yours. If you're a peacemaker, it's yours. If you're persecuted, it's yours. Amen. Amen. It's it's been paid for. Jesus paid the price on Calvary when He died for us on the cross. Amen. And He said, you know what? No longer am I excluding people based on their nationality, based on how they were raised, based on if they're a prophet, based on if they're a minister. No longer am I excluding people. I'm including even the, the lowest of the low. The poor, I'm including the meek, I'm including those that are hungry, those that are thirsty. Anyone can have, can own. This is, this is for the first time in human history where you didn't have to be special to own something this awesome, this great, hallelujah. You didn't have to have a special name. Or be a part of a special people. God basically threw open the doors and said, Whosoever will, you can own the kingdom of God. Because I love you. And I care about you. For the first time in human history. The kingdom of God is, is yours. So act like it. Amen. A lot of us don't act like we own this thing. We own it. Amen. Matthew five thirteen through 16 Jesus continued. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its savior, savor, <laughs> wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus basically, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus basically says, now that you own the kingdom of God, share it. Now, be so attractive spiritually that people are drawn to it through you. Be so bright that people know where to find the kingdom of God. You see, because the kingdom is invisible except to us. We can see it because God has opened our eyes, right? He filled us with His Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. We entered the kingdom of God when we were born again of the water and of the Spirit. The kingdom of heaven is ours. We entered in. We own it now. And because we own it, we see it. And we can't... A lot of times we, we don't see it because we choose not to see it. But we can see it every day. In the, in the face of a little child, in, in the face of a homeless person, where we see God wants to reach them. We see opportunities all around us where we can make an impact in this world. And that is the kingdom of God. That We see things that other people can't see. We, we, we can love someone uh, because God loved us. 
Now, to someone in the world, loving a stranger, loving a homeless person, loving someone that's poor or destitute, and really looking them in the face and saying, I love you and Jesus loves you, that's foreign to them. How can you say I love you to someone you don't know? You don't really mean it. But we in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God can say it and we can mean it. Because we see things differently than everyone else. Because God has given us his kingdom to own. Hallelujah. And that's how we can make a difference in this world. That's what ownership looks like. In other words, Christians and apostolics take true ownership in the kingdom. When they take ownership, you can tell. You can tell it's not just the way they present themselves, but it's in their spirit, it's in their attitude, and it's how they carry themselves. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you an owner or a renter? Amen. Amen. Let's own it. Jesus Jesus shared some of the parables with his people. A man found a treasure and sold all he had. Uh, to purchase the field that contained the treasure, right? He wanted to do it right. A man found a pearl of great price. He sold all that he had to acquire it. There's a difference between owning something and renting it. Those in the Bible that sold all they had, that gave all they had, were owning it. If you're not willing to do that, then you're just renting it. When you truly own something, you treat it differently than when you simply rent it. When you own it, you take care of it. When you own something, you invest in it, right? You keep it up and you make it better. When, when you own something, you, you're thankful for it and you value it. And when you pay more for something, hopefully you value it more, right? Amen. And even though Jesus paid the price for our salvation, you still had to take up your cross, right? You still had to take up your cross. You still had to lay down everything at Jesus' feet. It costed you nothing, but it costs us everything. Amen? The kingdom of God requires everything. That's why holiness is for owners and not renters. I said holiness is for owners, not renters. renters. A renter says, it doesn't matter what I do. God will forgive me. It doesn't matter. God will forgive me. A renter says, it doesn't matter how I look. God doesn't care. He cares about, he only cares about the inside. A renter says it doesn't matter how I talk. God knows I love him. A renter says it doesn't matter what my lifestyle is. God loves me for who I am. That's a renter. But an owner says I care about how I present myself to the world. An owner says I care about the principles that are in the word of God. An owner says I want to keep myself clean and separated from sin. An owner says I want to avoid the very appearance of evil. An owner says, I want to live a life that is pleasing to you, Jesus. Amen. Are you an owner today? Amen. As you can see, the motivations for a lifestyle of holiness come from a deep sense of ownership in the kingdom of God. Are you just a renter or are you an owner? Amen. And so we've been talking about ownership so far up to this point. But the, that's not the title of this message. The title of this message is Extreme Ownership. And so there must be something extreme about what we need to do. And it's funny because I've heard this, this scripture so many times. The kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent 
take it by force. And I didn't know what it means. It just means we need to be extreme, basically, in the kingdom of God. Because the times demand that. The times don't demand a status quo. The times don't demand mediocrity. Let someone else do it. I own it, but I'm older, so I'll let a young person do it or whatever. You know what I mean? The times demand extreme ownership. The kingdom of God suffereth violence, but the violent take it by force. Extreme ownership is when you take your ownership to the next level because there's modern Christianity and then there's apostolic Christianity. Modern Christianity is like, I want to be entertained. I I better go to a church that has like blinking lights and doom, 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 doom. I better like be ready to party or whatever. That's modern Christianity, right? It's what can you give me? Oh, what what programs do you have? I want I want some awesome programs in, for my ch- for my church. It's so awesome. I want to be a, I want to go to this church because it's just so awesome. <laughs> okay, that's modern Christianity, right? It's like what can you give me? It's not what can I pour into the kingdom? What can I what can I do to own the kingdom of God? It's more of a renter's mentality, right? And so extreme ownership says, I don't want to just be an everyday modern day Christian. I want to be an apostolic Christian. Someone who says, I want to take it to the next level. And if we're not careful, we can lose identity, our identity, and become just like the rest of the so-called Christian world, satisfied with the status quo. Don't get me wrong, there's probably a lot of sincere Christians in the world today who love God and probably doing the best they can with what they've got, with what they know. But true ownership requires three things, right? Understanding. Not only do we understand the kingdom of God is ours, right? From today's message, it's ours. But we also understand who Jesus Christ is. <laughs> Probably more so than anyone else, right? Because we understand that He is God. He is God alone. Amen. He's not just a part of God or a third of God. He is God. Hallelujah. And so we have a deeper understanding. We have a more extreme understanding. Trust. God trusts us and we trust Him. Does anyone trust Jesus today? Amen. 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 Hallelujah. God has entrusted us with the truth of His Word. He revealed it to us. Out of all the people in the world, God said, I'm going to reveal the truth to you. Acts 2.38. One God, holy living. Amen. He's revealed all those things to us. That means He trusts us. And He has trust, entrusted us with His gifts. The gift of the Holy Ghost. Gift of tongues. Gift of interpretation. It's time for us to, to use those things in the kingdom of God. And finally, empowerment. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He's empowered us. He didn't just empower the ministry. He's given us all the Holy Ghost. Right? It's not like I'm reporting for duty every day to some person. I'm reporting to duty to Jesus every day. Saying, God, what do you want me to do today? You've given me power to do it. In Jesus' name. Amen. And we are extreme. Everyone say, we are extreme. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. We believe God's word is God's word. Do you believe that?
that it is forever settled in heaven. That it's not an interpretation of God's word. That it's not one of God's word or part of God's word. We believe God's word is God's word. It is settled in heaven. We're extreme. We're extreme. We believe the Bible is God's holy word. And what he said, he meant. And what he meant, he said. Right? We're extreme. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit that God performs supernatural wonders today. Not just back in the Bible days. We believe that God does miracles today. We're extreme. We're extreme. He doesn't do just passive miracles. Yeah, He'll he'll answer your prayers. No, He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He heals cancer. He heals AIDS. God's extreme. He can do anything. So God can do anything. Hallelujah. He can heal your headache as easily as he can heal cancer. Yes. He can heal your headache today as easily as he can heal cancer. And we believe it in Jesus' name. We're extreme. Amen. We believe that God has granted us the same power that he had on the earth. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The devil is a loser. The devil is no match for our God. And because our God lives in us, all we have to do is call on the name of Jesus. And demons have to flee. I said, and demons have to flee. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. why all those stupid Hollywood movies about the devil and possession so retarded, so dumb, stupid. Sorry. It is dumb. Because all you got to do is say, in the name of Jesus and mean it, that devil is like obliterated. Like obliterated. It's just stupidness. Amen. Jesus told us that we would be extreme. Mark 16, 15 through 20. This is what we'll close with. And he said unto them, Go ye into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Amen. Amen. And he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received into heaven, sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord with them, and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Let's own this Let's own This is us. This is us. Jesus is talking about us, you and me. Even the least in the great in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. The least of us. Whoever thinks you're the least today, you're greater than John the Baptist. It's time to own what we have. We've already got it. Jesus gave it to us. Amen. On the day of Pentecost, right? 
and it's passed down generation to generation to generation to generation and somehow in 2019 we have the same gospel we have the same Holy Ghost we have everything it's all ours amen and God wants us to own God, I'm going to own it and I'm going to live it in Jesus' name. What an incredible message. Thank you again for joining us on the podcast and may God bless you.